Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Live on tape from the Ed Sullivan Theater in New York City, it's Stephen Colbert! Hey, there you go. Man, there's nobody I would rather see you right now. Thanks for Please have a seat. Welcome to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. And it is... I am so happy to be with all of y'all tonight. It's good not to be alone tonight. Because mm -hmm. it is the one-year anniversary of the January 6th attack on our democracy. And I think it's important that we commemorate and reflect on days like this that so deeply influence the history of this great nation. There's a reason Texas motto is not, What's an Alamo? The thing I remember from that day is how shocked I was at this grotesque tragedy. And here's how it went down for us here at The Late Show. That day, we had written a whole monologue about what we thought was going to be the normal procedural vote to certify Joe Biden's electoral win. And I really wish we'd had the chance to do that monologue, because anyone who works in comedy knows there's no bigger crowd-pleaser than procedural certification jokes. <laughs> we had a lot of them. Back then, we, we, weren't, we weren't in the theater, so I was working from home in my home office, and we were meeting in a rewrite Zoom, and it was about 1.45, 1 1.30, something like that. And when we're in that Zoom, we're totally focused. We're locked in on rewriting the script. But we started getting Slack messages from members of my staff who were watching Twitter videos of the carnage. And we were like, don't bother us. We're rewriting tonight's script. And they were like, no. No. <laughs> No, I think we're watching tonight's script right now. <laughs> so just about the time the crowd actually breached the walls of the Capitol, we stopped writing for just a moment and turned on the news. And one of my writers, Steve Waltine, took a screenshot of the moment that I first saw what was going on. Take a look. <laughs> that is the actual moment that I saw it. That is the face of a man whose dry January is about to get very wet. <laughs> And true story. True story. That, joke, that joke is based on a true story. We <laughs> immediately just tore up the script. Um, uh, I drove into the city while we all figured out what the hell was going on. And by the time I got here, my, my producer, Chris, over there asked, should we be live tonight? And I was so overwhelmed, I said, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go to the bathroom, get my bearings. And when I come out, why don't you tell me what we're doing? And when I came out, I said, hey, we're doing a live show tonight. And I said, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> then about a half hour later, he says, oh, by the way, every advertiser is pulled out. So you will be live, and the camera will never cut away from you for an hour. <laughs> and I said, fantastic. <laughs> but can I change it? I can't. I love it. 
But at the last minute, we got new sponsors, so I'd like to salute the true heroes of January 6, 2021, CBS ad sales. <laughs> Ba-da-ba-ba-da. I'm loving them. <laughs> now, one person who clearly has not forgotten the shock and horror of that day is Joe Biden. And President Biden went to the Capitol this morning to mark the first anniversary and asked all of us to relive January 6th. Close your eyes. Go back to that day. What do you see? Bourbon. <laughs> then he reminded us in graphic detail about what we can never forget. We saw with our own eyes rioters menace these halls, threatening the life of the Speaker of the House, literally erecting gallows to hang the Vice President of the United States of America, destroying property, literally defecating in the hallways. Defecating. That is a very delicate, presidential, and high-minded way to describe MAGA maniacs smearing poop on the walls. <laughs> These ignoble miscreants absconded with Madam Speaker's rostrum, set alight their cannabis cigarillos, and besmirched these hallowed corridors with their human detritus. The fecal matter, the fecal matter had truly hit the oscillator. <laughs> then... I say, I say to you, sir, then Biden turned his attention to the actions, or more accurately, the inactions, of his predecessor during the riot. What did we not see? We didn't see a former president who had just rallied the mob to attack, sitting in the private dining room off the Oval Office in the White House, watching it all on television and doing nothing for hours. Excuse me, sir. Since when is downing a KFC family bucket doing nothing? <laughs> he was working hard, and he had the chicken sweats to prove it. <laughs> then Joe took the gloves off. The former president of the United States of America has created and spread a web of lies about the 2020 election. He's done so because he values power over principle, because he sees his own interest is more important than his country's interest, than America's interest. And because his bruised ego matters more to him than our democracy or our Constitution, he can't accept he lost, even though that's what 93 United States senators, his own attorney general, his own vice president, governors and state officials in every battleground state have all said he lost. Hell yes! Tell it like it is, Joe! Come on! So simple. So true. That's it. I loved it. I love that speech today. Truly a powerful speech. That is the Joe Biden I remember. That is the Joe Biden we stole this election for. I mean, voted for. I mean... Oh, sure. <laughs> I've said too much. Biden finished with a powerful call to action. So now let's step up, write the next chapter in American history, where January 6th marks not the end of democracy, but the beginning of a renaissance of liberty and fair play. I did not seek this fight brought to this Capitol one year ago today. 
but I will not shrink from it either. Come on, I'll fight you, leprechaun style. Come on! I tell you. I tell you. No. Say hello to my two friends, Liberty and Fair Play. I'm gonna beat the defecation out of you. Now, predictably, predictably, Biden's speech prompted a response from former President Dubious Caesar. Now, uh, if you watch the show, you know I no longer do an impression of that ding-a-ling, uh, and not just because I can't stand the taste of that man's words in my mouth, but because there's someone who more accurately embodies his mental capacity. And that's a seven-year-old. That's why we hired one to read the former president's <laughs> actual response. Biden, who is destroying our nation with insane policies of open borders, corrupt elections, disastrous energy policies, unconstitutional mandates, and devastating school closures, used my name today to try to further divide America. No, he didn't. He didn't use your name once, you nimrod. <laughs> Listen to this. Former president, the 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 former president. He's not just a former president. He's a defeated former president. <laughs> so he didn't use his name, but Biden did make one direct reference to the former president. Nazi. <laughs> now, there were some notable absences from the ceremonies today during a moving moment of silence for the officers who lost their lives. There were only two Republicans on the House floor. The other Republican legislators chose to reenact January 6th by hiding in fear. Former administration officials did show their faces on Fox News, like former White House chief of staff and guy who dilated his pupils just for the free optometrist shades, <laughs> Mark Meadows. Meadows went on his Buddy Hannity show, and instead of discussing their now public, pants-crapping, terrified text exchange from a year back, Meadows complained in advance about how the media would cover it. You're right to point out uh, that uh, Tamara is going to be spent on January 6th. Keen analysis. <laughs> Meadows went on to predict the next day would be spent on January 7th. The day after might focus on January 8th, and by the weekend, we can see numbers as high as 9 or 10. <laughs> In the, uh... Kidneys, Doc. Kidneys. The January 6th Select Committee is hard at work investigating the riot yesterday. They spoke to a former White House press secretary and murderous Anne Klein mannequin, <laughs> Stephanie Grisham. And today, Grisham told CNN she was helping the committee flesh out the details of January 6th. There were a couple of things that they didn't know. Uh, there were things that I was able to confirm, and I think there were things that I was able to kind of help put together uh, like a puzzle. Yes, it's a puzzle. In this case, Sudoku. <laughs> we got a great show for you tonight. Coming up... John Dickerson.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. John, uh, we'll talk to John Dickerson in just one moment, but I just want to uh, say that we just found out moments ago that uh, our colleague uh, at 1230, James Corden, has just tested positive for COVID. So uh, he says he's feeling fine. He's just going to be out for a few days. Uh, he can't wait to see everybody again soon. And we, of course, wish him nothing but the best. And uh, if you need me to, like, mail you, like, food, let me know. Something thin you can slide under the door. Yeah, yeah right. Because he's going he's to be in isolation for a while there. Yeah, yeah. So nothing but pizza and quesadilla under the yeah, door. Right. Flat stuff. Yeah, flat stuff. Pancakes. Folks, my first guest is a senior national correspondent and chief political analyst for CBS News. Please welcome back to The Late Show, John Dickerson. <laughs> good to see you again. It's good to be seen. Thanks for being here. I was, you know, I was talking in the monologue, uh, uh, pulling back the curtain about what that day was like for us, just in terms of uh, of a production. Yeah. And uh, one thing that people out here might not know is that you were supposed to be my guest on January sixth that night to talk about where the, the the procedure of certifying the ballots. You just booked me a year early. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and instead, we had Klobuchar and and uh, uh, who is it? What? Kinsinger. Kinsinger, Kinsinger, actually from the their thing. offices at the Capitol, where they had just been, you know, and barricaded in. Um, I was describing what it was like emotionally for me. Um, I, you've studied Washington for years. You're from a political reporting family, second generation. You reported on Capitol Hill. What was your reaction like that day? A year ago, when when you saw this happening, so we're at home like everybody else because it's COVID. Mm-hmm. So I'm. It turns out in the bedroom because Anne, my wife, is using the office or something. So that's where the news starts to come through. I'm on the phone. I can't remember to whom, and they said you got to turn on the TV or something. And the first thing that hit me was having covered the Hill for I guess six years. Those hallways are really quiet. You can hear the shoes clicking on the floor, mm-hmm. and when you walk through them because they're often quiet. Even in school, even when they're filled with school children, it's quiet. You walk through and you think about all the people who've gone through there, the greats and the clowns and the majesty. It wells up in you. Mm-hmm. So when you saw those pictures, the sound of it, those were sounds that didn't belong in there. That was roar. That, the roar and the banging, the pounding on the doors. And it was like, you know, uh, fingers on a, a blackboard. It was just so dissonant. Um, and then to see the, def- it was a, a befouling of a place that I had worked, that my, my mom had worked not, not only as a journalist, but for years on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And that's where she went to work every day. And so to feel and see that was so disconnecting. And I tweeted something that uh, I said, you know, this is the, these are the steps where President Trump talked about uh, American carnage, and now we're seeing it. And about two minutes later, um, Adam Verdugo called me uh, from the Evening News and said, we're going on live, and suddenly I'm on the phone and I'm talking to Nora O'Donnell, and we're off. Uh, And in fact, I did a piece that night, which I've forgotten I did until the producer on the piece tweeted it today. That was the kind of blur of the day that it was in. 
Um, as I was saying, it's important to, to mark days like this, but it's a difficult day to uh, capture in a single remembrance. So much happened, but uh, politically, historically, emotionally, but I thought the president today did a pretty good job of laying out not only a reminder of what led to that, what actually happened, but what the stakes are for forgetting it and for not addressing it. What did you think of the president's speech? Well, the, well, it reminded me of, he was feeling his inner Harry Truman. I mean, uh, so they used to say, give him hell, Harry. Mm -hmm. And Truman would say, uh, I tell him the truth and they think it's hell. Mm -hmm. um, and so the reaction that Biden got uh, was, um, uh, was kind of reminded me uh, of that. This has been a layered experience. The more we learn, we learn new things and we, we, we assess those, but then that also gives us a new view of what happened in the past and what we knew in the past. And this is still ongoing. Why? Because what is, the reason this is historic is that the person at the highest level of American politics took direct aim at the center of it, which is the peaceful transfer of power. Not just on the 6th, but what President Trump did with Department of Justice, with officials in the states. That's what this is about. And he's still the leader of the Republican Party. So this is an ongoing question. And that, I think, was what President Biden was addressing today. It's an anniversary of an event, but the threads that led to it and the, the parts of it are still very much with us today. That night, it looked like there was a shot that Republicans, even the Republican leadership, would part ways with the president. When you look back at what the Republican leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, said, Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader in the House, it is as excoriating... Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham. It is as excoriating as anything. In fact, as I was preparing for work today, I was just reading and preparing to just say what the Republicans had said a year ago. I mean, you know, Mitch McConnell said that the president led to a domestic terror attack by lying to the mob, that he incited it, Kevin McCarthy said. So that's a big deal when the person whose job it is is to protect the Constitution undermines it by inciting a riot at the Capitol. That's not something you just forget. We have to take a quick break, uh, but stick around. We'll be right back with more John Dickerson, everybody. <laughs> with CBS News's John Dickerson. Today, you tweeted this out. You said, there's a lot of bait today. You are not a shark. You don't have to take it. What did you mean by that? I won't talk about the specific thing that caused that, because then I'd be giving energy to the bait. Sure. But in politics, we've seen this for a long time in politics, but it happens all the time now. If I'm a supporter of President Trump's, and I don't want to talk about the fact that all the Republican leaders a year ago were saying he incited an act of terrorism. I don't want to talk about that today. So I'll say something that's incredibly incendiary or something that's just flat out wrong mm -hmm. to steal attention. And what'll happen is on social media and even in some members of the press, they'll fact check what I'm saying and we'll spend all this time over here talking about the bait that I threw out instead of focusing on what the day should be about, which is, did the contributory things that led to January 6th, are they still with us? Uh, what's gonna happen if they still are? And what does that mean for our democracy? Well, let's get into that a little bit. Because it became clear to a lot of people um, and even people who denied that it was clear to them, if you know what I mean. It became clear to a lot of people shortly after the president went out 
uh, the former president went out into the White House press room, I believe, on the 5th of November and said, they're stealing it, this is, this is all a lie and everything. This is even be- was before the Electoral College uh, was called uh, for Biden. And it was still, again, still in November. You said on November 9th, shortly thereafter, you said that if the former president continued to lie about the election results and the Republicans allowed him to do so, I believe was the other condition yeah. in there, without repudiating it, that they'd be, quote, burning the Democratic furniture, small d, where are we now? In the last year, how singed is the furniture, or is it a total loss and we need to go to Ikea and buy an elk dorp? <laughs> well, you know, when I said that, my, my wife, Ann, was kind of like, what are you talking about? And what I was trying to say with the Democratic furniture, this, of course, long before January 6th, is I, there, was a, there was energy in the air that was very bad. A president's obligation is to... It's a, it's a job of trust, You can't go saying things where you don't have any proof. And you really can't go saying anything about the central question of American democracy, which is the peaceful transfer of power. And as you've said to me many times, uh, that, uh, was it Roosevelt who said it? Essentially a moral office. Right. So he's breaking that job. The other part of the presidency is you don't inflame. You actually tamp things down if you can. So he was inflaming and he was breaking his trust obligation to the job. And once you do that, you put negative energy into the system. And somebody has to stand up and say, this is wrong, it's not true. Because they know, Republicans know the power he has over the base of the party and that they will believe him. Mm -hmm. In part because for four years he has changed the very nature of truth. So I just felt like this awful, some awful thing was going to happen. And so I chose that weird metaphor. Well, it turns out furniture was broken and busted and in fact, in reality and in... And, and, uh, and symbolically. Um, where are we now? I mean, if you look at the effort to kind of forget January 6th from the president's supporters, to turn it even into a martyr's day rather than a criminal act of terrorism, which is what Republicans called it at the time. And for some Americans, a successful attempt because 71% of Republicans still believe as in polls that Biden wasn't properly elected. And that day, a large per- uh, percentage of Republicans believe that that day was actually... Uh, an FBI false flag or Antifa or something like that. And if you get people to believe that, they say, well, wait a minute, why aren't you doing anything about this? Uh, And so since you're not doing anything, we're going to go our own way and do something violent because this can't be allowed to stand. And that's not... And one thing I... So the lie about the violence leads possibly to more violence. That would be the next bit of furniture to burn. It feels like the, the same thing. If you don't stand up and say this is a lie and don't believe this and you're being misled then you leave people to their own devices. And there's something that's been said today often, which is, well, the system worked. You know, the system held. Well, it did. But when you use a defibrillator on somebody who has a heart attack, you don't then just say, well, everything's fine. You can go back to smoking and eating four cheeseburgers a day. When the defibrillator works, you go, wait a minute. Something here with the patient has to be dealt with. And so, sure, the defibrillator worked. The, the, the attempt to overthrow a free and fair election didn't happen. But that doesn't mean that the system is healthy. We have to take another break, but uh, stick around. When we come back, I'll ask John how history might remember Mike Pence. (laughs) The lie is working to a large degree, as, as I said just a moment ago. Why do you think it's so easy for them to lie about January 6th to the base? Well, the truth is worth avoiding. Be- which is the truth is that the, the pers- truth is so damning. Yeah, you can't go anywhere near because, it. Because because it's not just as the Republican leaders said a year ago on the sixth, the president incited a riot. 
by lying to the mob, but he's now the leader of the party and, in, and leader in all kinds of different ways. Republican base wants him to be president again. Many members of Congress would say that. And he's created a market in which people have to essentially believe the big lie or play footsie with it in order to rise within the party. So you don't want to talk about that. And they're all implicated at this point, with the exception of Cheney and Kensinger, because he stabbed somebody and they've helped him clean the knife. And so they're all accomplices at this point. Or, or they're either direct accomplices or they've kind of played with the idea, you know, they've said, well, there were some questions about the election in 2020. That's like saying somebody yells fire in a theater when there is no fire and then looks at all the people running out and says, you know, there's a stampede. We should really look into that fire. But the fire was a total fiction. And that's where some people have, have landed, which is, we're going to study this fire because all these people stampeded out. All these people believe it was stolen. Well, they believe it was stolen because, because they've been lied to. Um, Stephanie Grisham said uh, that uh, some dozen, I think, I forgot what number she threw out if she did, uh, a group of ex-Trump officials is going to be getting together soon uh, to stop the former president. Yay? Well, they how, may... much, how much stock can you put in something like that because they've tried to stop him so many times well, in the that's past? Well, yeah, the road is littered with lots of little groupings of people who've tried to stop President Trump. He has a unique connection with his party, which is why for 64 days between when he was saying the election was stolen and January 6th, somebody should have stood up and said, he has this unique connection and there are a lot of people who are going to believe what he's saying and he has no evidence for it and we know he doesn't and we know better than letting this fester because it's going to explode. So uh, I don't think this effort's going to work. Richard Nixon told, I think it was Pat, Pat Buchanan at one point, whenever there's a movement to stop X, bet on X because X is going to win. Because they want to stop X because he has the clear energy. He has the clear energy and also, you know, he, uh, Former President Trump takes a lot of energy from his, from his enemies, as many politicians do, which is, in other words, you know, uh, look, and that's part of the President uh, Biden, you know, gave this peppery speech today, but there are going to be a lot of Republicans who can now look away from the sixth and say, you know, he's really being, he's really being unfair. He's tarring the whole party. You've already seen this. Um, and, uh, and so that's a way in which it energizes uh, the party and keeps it together, and they don't, have, they don't have to look at what happened on the 6th. And as Karl Rove, who was the political strategist for President George W. Bush, who is no, you know, he's a partisan who likes to fight hard, he said the burden is on the Republican Party to repudiate what happened on the 6th. And if that's the case, there are a lot of people who don't want to share that burden. How do you think history is going to remember Mike Pence? And as a quick follow-up, where is that guy? <laughs> Well, he's trying to find his way back into the room. Um, and the weird thing is that the room, getting back into the room requires kind of believing in the thing that he stood up and didn't do, which is to say, and, and by the way, think about this. I mean, the, the, the Mike Pence story is so corrugated because here is a person who is more loyal to Donald Trump than anyone. Mm -hmm. Because of of the he he was very strong with evangelicals and he basically said this guy's okay and then he was with him everywhere along the line the person who was the most loyal to him and President Trump put a target on his back on that day when he knew and had been told repeatedly that Mike Pence could do nothing and he he took the guy who'd been the most loyal and said here's this situation you can't get out of and that's you know and then suddenly people are breaking in and yelling hang Mike Pence and he continues to do it. 
So that's the most extraordinary thing. And Mike Pence has said, well, that's just something about which we disagree, him, he and Donald Trump. About whether Mike Pence should hang by the neck. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you put it that way. It's like we disagree about, you know, uh, whether cilantro is good. I mean, that's the thing about which we disagree. This is something a little bit beyond that. Well, Don, thanks for being here. Come back on a happier day. <laughs> I'll see you in a Good year. Good luck with dry January. Coming up, Corey Hawkins. Ladies and gentlemen, you know my next guest tonight from The Walking Dead, straight out of Compton and In the Heights. He now stars in the latest film adaptation of the Scottish play. Children, too. Wife, children, servants, all that could be found. My wife. Kill, too. I have said, be comforted. Let's make us medicines of our great revenge to cure this deadly grief. He has no children. All my pretty ones. Did you say all? All. What all my pretty chickens in the dam in one fell swoop? Disputing like a man. I shall do so. But I must also feel it as a man. Please welcome back to The Late Show, Corey Hawkins. Nice to see you again. Before, before we get started here, uh, in the intro, I called it the Scottish play because there is a, there's a tradition in, in proper theaters like this one, an right. actual Broadway theater, n- not to say the name of that, of that particular play. It's bad luck. Do you, are you superstitious about things like that? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm on the fence a little bit about it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, am, I, I understand the tradition. I understand the curses and all that, but... I'm also a very spiritual guy, and I understand God. You know what I mean? So, so there's, there's, there's that. I was actually here doing... <laughs> I was here... I was working on a, a, a play with uh, Latanya Richardson-Jackson, and we were in, on a break, and uh, I said it in, in, the, in, the, in the theater. And I jumped up, and she was looking at me like I was crazy, and I ran out the theater, and I started spinning around three times and spitting over your shoulders or whatever you're supposed to do. I don't that's know. That's it. That's all in there. I yeah, guess yeah. that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. People would look at me like I'm crazy, but it's New York, so whatever. <laughs> um, and, and I run back inside, and Latanya was just sitting there, and she's just shaking her head like this. I'm like, what? And she's like, I don't play that. I don't play that. She said, curses and all of that. I was like, what, what, what? she was like, I'm, I'm covered. She was like, God. And I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay. I was like, you got it. You, all right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yes. All right. I, I, I don't mind saying it. You don't mind saying it? Macbeth, Macbeth, Macbeth. Macbeth, Macbeth. Okay, Macbeth. there you go. That is the name. <laughs> so, what? He's upset. He's upset over the... What are you doing? You're like, going to get us canceled. Okay, I interviewed your, your co-star, uh, Denzel Washington, uh, a few weeks ago about, about this film. Yeah. And I'm a longtime fan. And very few people starstrike me. And he, he's, he is one of the few that I go, that's Denzel... Washington, yes, right there. Indeed. Uh, it, it, what is it, it? What it must mean a lot. What was it like to share the stage or the screen with him for this? It's an honor, man. I, I mean, every time I see him, I'm like, that's Denzel in Washington, right there, you know. Um, but but to to be as gracious as he is, um, not only in as a man, but just in 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 his work, and like to literally sit in rehearsal with him for weeks, and and with Fran and and Joel Cohen. I mean, to sit with them and watch these masters 
continue to challenge themselves and rise to the occasion. I mean, like as an artist, that's the dream. That's what you want, you know, to, to, to continue. Because they don't have to do it, you know? It's like they can do whatever they want, you know? But the fact that I got to watch them do this um, and, and play. Go For them it. to be generous with their experience with you, yeah. you might get a contact greatness. I mean, listen, let it rub off on me, please. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'll take it, man. It's just a, a well, blessing. Well, not to spoil a 400-year-old play, but mm -hmm. your character, Macduff, kills his character. Oh, why'd you have to and tell him? <laughs> And 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 it's and it's in a, a great sword fight, mm -hmm. and we have we have a still right here. From there you are as yeah. Leon McDuff. There you are. Yeah. What was it like sword fighting with Denzel Washington? I mean, I, <laughs> first, <laughs> what, are you nervous? Never my nervous. Oh man, I was literally the whole time I was thinking, do not kill Denzel Washington, please. Well, please, please. How, how close do you come? Because because like when I've never really done any really proper stage combat like yeah. that with an actual like, are these heavy swords these are these are these are real real broad swords and we're working with you know this incredible stunt team that's worked with joe cohen for years so you know i, I trust myself in their hands mm -hmm. i just don't trust the sword in my hands so i'm literally <laughs> sitting there like i'm I, I, literally and denzel and i you know he's working on all the other he's shooting other scenes and stuff so we didn't get a chance to actually sh work on that fight until what? the day of we, so we had practiced it separately, but because he's a master, you know, we beat, beat through the fight, and it's on this tiny parapet, you know, that's about this wide, and we're taking the swords, and we're, you know, and I'm just like, Lord, please don't let this be today, and don't let me be the one. One of the things you had to do was act on a horse, and I'm curious whether you had ridden a horse before. <sighs> this was the, uh, that was like the first day of shooting, too. Really? There's two things they say actors aren't, you know, you don't film with. It's like, what, children and animals. That's right. So they put me on a horse to do Shakespeare on the first day, which was, which was all good. And, and me and this horse had been practicing for a month prior to this. We had been ready. We became close. I was telepathically talking to the dude. I named him Buddy. Like, we were just, we were, we were, we were in lockstep. On the day of, Denzel graciously came on my first day of shooting. Uh, Francis was there, obviously, Joel, and everybody's ready, the horse is ready. We had rehearsed it a thousand times. And he says, action, and we get down, hit the mark, camera's right there. And as soon as I start speaking, the horse just <laughs> off camera. And I'm sitting there like, okay, all right. He, he's nervous, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the horse is nervous. Clearly, okay. you know, even though the horse had probably done more films than all of us combined, you know. Um, so we do it again, get down there, same thing. As soon as I start speaking, I'm starting to freak out a little bit, but I'm trying to hold it together because it's Joel, Denzel, Fran. I'm like, God, 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 come on, come on, come on. So I go back there, we have a little come to Jesus moment. I'm like, come on, man, <laughs> don't make me look bad. Anyways, last time we do it, we get down there, he does it again. So I literally, I look over to the horse wrangler. Guy's been in the business for years, old gruff guy. He's like, you know, are you nervous? I'm like, am I nervous? Yes, I'm nervous. I mean, like, you know. But from here up, I look, everything looked fine because the camera's up there. But from here down, I'm so nervous. He said, your feet are literally kicking the horse. <laughs> Every time you talk. And the horse is doing what you're telling so him to do. So he's doing what I'm telling me, what I'm telling him to do. And I'm like, oh my God. So the horse, I feel like the horse was like, are you nervous? Like literally. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was, it was, but it, you know, we all laughed about it and it was fun and you know, we got it done. Well, it was great to see you again. Man, Thanks so much for being here. Good to see you.
This has been the Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. If you're enjoying the Late Show Pod Show, leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Watch the Late Show with Stephen Colbert weeknights at 11:35, 10:35 Central on CBS and Paramount Plus. And for more exclusive Late Show content, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Late Show on YouTube.